Hello and welcome to the DIY Investing Podcast. My name is Trey Henniger and I'm your host. In today's episode, we are going to dive into the question, is it better to pay management fees or performance fees? And we're going to look at this question from the perspective of an investor paying an investment manager. So, I'll also provide a little bit of thoughts um, of this from the perspective of the investment manager because I think it's helpful to see both perspectives for potential investors because often we look at things from one way and if we see it from both perspectives, we might get a better understanding of what the ideal setup is for you. So if you are an investor who has in the past or may in the future pay investment management fees to another investor, then this is an episode that I think will be helpful to you. And this could be whether you're paying those fees um, to an ETF, whether you're paying those fees into a mutual fund, whether you're paying those fees into a hedge fund, or whether you're paying those fees into segmented managed accounts where you might have custom portfolios or um, have portfolios managed by an investor that you have uh, some visibility to. This information will be helpful to both accredited and non-accredited investors, and I think it will allow you to get a better understanding of both what management fees are, what performance fees are, and why both of them have a good place in your the thought process of being applied. There are times where using management fees are better than using performance fees and vice versa. So that's my goal for this episode. In the next 20, 30 minutes, we are going to answer that question. Is it better to pay management fees or performance fees? So first, we're going to begin with management fees. Then I will discuss performance fees. And along with performance fees, we'll discuss hurdle rates and high watermarks, both of which can be very important. I will close out the episode with a discussion of the Buffett model and what I believe the right answer is for different types of investors. That is our outline for today. Now, management fees. Management fees are priced as a percentage of the assets under management. So for instance, I'm going to have a few examples here. A 1% management fee would mean that you will pay 1% of your assets to the investment manager regardless of the returns you receive on your investment. And this is the critical piece. A management fee is paid no matter what happens. It doesn't matter if the investment's profitable. It doesn't matter if the investment has losses. It doesn't matter um, whether you're adding or subtracting money over time. It's paid as a percentage of the amount of assets you have in that investment. So if you have $100,000 invested at the beginning of the year, then you're going to expect to pay about $1,000 in fees during that year. So if your investment doubles, you pay $1,000 in fees. And if your investment gets cut in half and goes down to $50,000, you pay $1,000 in in management fees. Um, For simplicity's sake, I'm ignoring the weighted average effect. Basically, a lot of management fees um, are going to be calculated on some sort of weighted average basis. So maybe they're going to be calculated um, daily, weekly, monthly, quarterly, or something like that. So um, if your investment were to double to say $200,000, then, you know, at the end of the year, you'd expect to be paying $2,000 a year in fee, but at the beginning of the year, you'd be expected to pay $1,000 in fees. So it'd be somewhere in the middle, honestly, so it might average to one and a half or something in that range, but generally it'd be $1,000 per $100,000 you have invested. Likewise, if your investment got cut in half, um, you'd still owe the $1,000 in fees 
or whatever the weighted average was. So it might have started out with the expectation of $1,000 in fees, might end with the expectation of $500 in fees. And so it might average out around $750. Um, but we're ignoring that for now simply to say because the main point of management fees is they are paid regardless of performance. So you're going to pay a management fee if it's what you've signed up for. Um, no matter what the performance is, positive, negative, zero, um, if it meets your goals or it doesn't meet your goals, as long as your money is invested in a management fee structure, you're going to pay that management fee. Um, the good thing about management fees is you're not having to write a check for that money. That money's just managed and taken out of the account along with the investment. So, you know, if you if you have $100,000 invested and you and you owe $1,000 in management fees, it's not like you write a check for $1,000. Now, this can be both positive and negative. It's positive in the sense that you don't have to come up with an extra $1,000 somewhere. It's kind of just taken from the investment account and the performance there. And so what you'll really see is just a net reduction in your overall performance because it's built into the way the structure is managed. Um, but then the downside is, is sometimes you don't really see um, how much money you are paying, you know, at a hundred thousand dollars, it might be a thousand dollars in fees, but if you have $10 million invested, then you're going to be paying like a hundred thousand dollars in fees. So pros and cons there. Um, typically management fees is somewhere in the range of zero to 2%. Um, sometimes they can be much higher than 2%, two and a half percent, 3% are all normal management fees. So anywhere in that zero to 3% range is something normal that you might see. Um, you're going to see management fees used almost exclusively for ETFs and mutual funds um, because it's my understanding that ETFs and mutual funds are not allowed to charge performance fees. And so that's because ETFs and mutual funds are targeted towards non-accredited and accredited investors. And management fees can be charged to both accredited and non-accredited investors quick sidebar for what that means. Accredited investors in the United States are investors with $200,000 in income per year, or if they're married, $300,000 in income per year. Or if they have a million dollars in liquid net worth, then they would count as accredited investors. A non-accredited investor is everyone else. So if you make less than that in your income, or you have less than a million dollar net worth, then you would be a non-accredited investor. Um, this is important because as a non-accredited investor, you can be charged management fees, but as we'll get to later, you can't be charged performance fees. Um, the idea is generally that performance fees are a more sophisticated product. They have maybe bigger risks, possibly bigger rewards. There's reasons where you might prefer performance fees, but for whatever reason, the SEC has decided that they're, you're not allowed to be charged um, performance fees if you're not sophisticated as an investor. And in the US, we like to use, we like to describe sophistication with how much money you earn and how much money you have. Um, that's not a good method, but it's the method that's chosen by the industry. And so that's kind of how it's structured. So there's that piece there. If you're, if you're buying an ETF or a mutual fund, um, you're going to be paying management fees. Um, if you're buying index funds, you're going to be paying management fees. Um, the general idea, although it's not exclusively true, is the lowest management fees are going to be in index funds. Um, and ETFs are going to be higher. And then mutual funds tend to be a little higher than ETFs. Um, not always true. And certainly you're going to find exceptions to this rule. Um, but that's generally how they are structured. Um, 
hedge funds tend to charge both management fees and performance fees. You will find some hedge funds that charge only management fees. You'll find hedge funds that charge only performance fees and some that charge both. But the two in 20 was the general thing that you might hear of where they charge a 2% management fee and a 20% performance fee is, is the historic marker for hedge fund fees. Um, but that has been changing in recent years, but it certainly is still a legacy impact there. So that's our little brief primer on management fees. On performance fees are priced as a percentage of the profit earned on investments over the course of the year. So if you pay, say, a 10% performance fee, then the manager would receive 10% of the total profits earned during the year, but they only get paid for profits. So Again, if you invest $100,000 and during the course of one year, they grow that $100,000 to $200,000, then the investment manager would earn $10,000. Why? Because that's 10% of the $100,000 gain. Um, However, if the investment were to earn nothing or if the investment were to fall to $50,000, then the investment manager would earn nothing. That means they would work the whole year and receive $0. You would pay no fees. Now, Performance fees can be charged only to accredited investors. Um, so despite this having some some upside, basically that you pay for results and you only pay for results, a lot of people really like performance fees um, because it means that basically you're, you're, you're more aligned generally with the manager than you would be otherwise. Uh, but there's some caveats here. And, and um, one of the things is that we're going to talk about next is hurdle rates. So let's think about what hurdle rates are. Hurdle rates are um, the idea that they tend to be paired with performance fees. So in order to better align performance fees with investors uh, between the investor and the manager, you can charge performance fees only above a certain hurdle. So in the example I gave, the hur- there was no hurdle rate. The hurdle rate was zero. Basically, the manager got 10% of all profits. Well, you can also do a hurdle rate and say, let's say the manager gets 10% only above a certain level. So if the hurdle rate is 5%, then that would mean the profit sharing only kicks in after 5% of returns. So the first 5%, the investor gets 100% of the money. And then after that 5%, the investor gets 90% of the money. Um, And maybe the 10% performance fee is retained by the investment manager then. So if we use that same example where you invest $100,000, it happens to double in a year to $200,000. Well, the profit pool is no longer $100,000. It's now $95,000 because the first $5,000 is exempt. And so the investment manager would only earn $9,500 instead of $10,000 because their 10% of the profits is only on that $95,000. Now, I know I risk losing people with these numbers, but I hope that this is, these examples are helping clarify things for you. If you're enjoying this episode so far, please hit that like button, subscribe to the YouTube channel. If you're listening on YouTube, hit that subscribe on the podcast. If you're listening on a podcast app, um, I love providing great investing content. And so hit that subscribe button and you do, you can get notifications as I upload new videos and new podcasts. So I hope you'll join me in that. Leave me your five-star ratings and review, but hit that like and subscribe button now. So as we continue, hurdle rates are an important feature of performance fees because it means that they can be 
catered to the needs of the investor. You know, if the investor needs a certain level of returns or if they think that um, a certain level of return is really easy to achieve and that managers shouldn't be paid for that performance, then you can structure the compensation arrangement accordingly. Now, something that's really important here, though, is high watermarks. So a high watermark is often paired with both hurdle rates and performance fees because what it does is it means that you don't pay or invest or managers don't get rewarded for losses in early years. And so if there are losses in early years, it offsets um, the hurdle rates in later years or basically compounds them. So we're going to take the same example. We're going to assume investing $100,000, a hurdle rate of 5%, um, and you know your 10% performance fee. However, in year one, your investment declines from $100,000 to $80,000. In year one, you would pay no performance fees. Because you didn't earn more than 5%, you paid no fees. In year two, your investment goes from $80,000 to $110,000. This would represent a 37.5% rate of return in year two. The hurdle rate is 5%. However, you would still pay no performance fees. Why? Because the hurdle rate of 5% continues to compound when you say that there's a high watermark. And that means that in year one, you basically, the profit pool didn't start until $105,000. But in year two, the profit pool doesn't start until $110,000. So even though your your investment in year two went up 37.5%, the manager gets no benefit from that because you first have to make up for the highest level of previous returns that had been paid out. Now, I'm ignoring a little bit the compounding nature of you know 1.05 times 1.05. It's actually going to be a little higher than 110,000 that has to be hit. But for simplicity's sake, we're just adding them up. 5% plus 5% equals 10%. And so that investment manager in year two would only receive performance fees for money that was 10% higher than the original investment, which in this case would have been $110,000. So no performance fees paid in year one when there was a 20% loss. No performance fees paid in year two when there was a 37.5% gain. And in year three, there'd be another 5% added. And so the manager would only earn performance fee returns above you know, $115,000. Again, we're ignoring the compound growth, which would make it a little higher, like 116, 117, 118, or something like that. But basically, what this does is it means that managers only get paid for positive performance. They don't get paid if you first have negative performance and then have positive performance. This high watermark setup protects investors from basically the volatility in the markets. We don't want to pay the investment manager just simply because there was extra volatility. Um, Instead, we want to pay for actual results. And so that's what you get when you create a performance management, a performance fee setup that includes both hurdle rates and high watermarks. I personally think that both of these features are important anytime you use performance fees and that they are good methods that align the experience of the investor with the experience of the manager. So the manager wants to provide good returns for their investor and the investor wants to know that they're not paying fees on returns that aren't really there. So that brings us to the Buffett model. 
Warren Buffett, when he was managing hedge fund before, um, before you know having Berkshire Hathaway and building that, one of the incentive structures that he used, he used multiple, but basically the Buffett model was a 0% management fee and a 6% hurdle rate with high watermarks and a 25% performance fee. So basically Buffett would not take any fees simply for managing the money. And he wanted to align his interest with investors by getting a 25% profit share. So he would get 25% of the profits above 6%. But there was a high watermark incentive in here. And it gets a little bit more complicated. But to simplify, this was the structure that he had. He had a few other terms in there as well. So I think this is actually a really attractive setup. Because if you think about what this does, it means that you're not paying the investment manager um, simply to manage your money. You're paying for results. In addition, you have a pretty reasonable hurdle rate. 6% is a pretty reasonable hurdle rate. Achieving a 6% return isn't necessarily guaranteed in any one year. And if that compounds over time, that provides you a strong protection, both being higher than historic inflation. You know, inflation over the last 100 years has averaged somewhere between 35 to 4%. Um, so you're implying both beating inflation with the hurdle rate before you pay the investor. And it means that there's a really good performance fee um, that still incentivizes the investment manager to achieve good returns. So what does that number really look like? So if you have a 25% performance fee and a 6% hurdle rate, that means that if you earn 10% gross returns in a year, then you would pay a 1% fee and you'd have a net return of 9%. If you earned 14% returns, then you'd pay a 2% fee total for a net return of 12% which is a very good return. So if you're hitting 14% returns, if the manager hits 14% returns, then the investor gets 12% returns, and the manager gets 2%. Um, versus like 10%, then it's 1% there. And then as you go up and up, that really influences the, the manager for getting really high returns, but it also provides a strong protection for the investors. And I think that's a good alignment. You have to be careful when you change the performance fee and those hurdle rates though. There's a few different things you can do. Um, for instance, one example would be is you could have a higher performance fee, but a higher hurdle rate. So let's think about what that does if like the hurdle rate is 10%. Well, if the hurdle rate is 10%, that's a very high hurdle rate. That's hard to hit every single year. And it's hard to hit on a recurring compounding basis, um, especially if the manager doesn't get paid for their management skills. They're only getting paid for results and they're only getting paid for results above the hurdle rate. Now you have to have usually a higher performance fee to justify that high hurdle rate. So why would you want something like this? Well, now what you're doing is you're incentivizing the manager to knock it out of the park. And so you might do something where, okay, let's do a 10% hurdle rate, but maybe the performance fee, the profit share is 50%. So it's not 25%, it's not 20%, it's 50%. So what does that look like now? It's like, well, they don't get paid anything unless they get 10% returns. But then every... 2% that they go above that, they get to keep 1%, you know, because they're getting 50% of the profits above that, which means if they're able to earn 20% a year, then they're going to get a 5% performance fee, while you, the investor, would get 15% net returns. That's still very attractive. It also means if they have some blowout years, like they earn, you know, 60% in a year, then you're going to get 30% returns or 35% returns, but they might get a 25%, you know, profit share because of the, how those numbers work out.
However, you can also do it another way. You could have maybe a lower performance fee where it kicks in earlier, but a lower hurdle rate. So maybe your hurdle rates, you know, 4% or 3%. Um, and, but the performance fee is, you know, 10%, 15%, 20%, something like that, that incentivizes um, maybe a little bit more of a conservative, but still seeking growth um, thing. But you're not really telling them that they need to blow it out of the park. You want them to be a little bit more disciplined and maybe more diversified. And so what you'd want to think about is maybe the more that you want the manager to aim to knock it out of the park, the more that you're really trying to incentivize them to go for massive outperformance, the higher the performance fee. And the more you want them to um, be a little more conservative and focus on wealth preservation, then the lower the performance fee and the lower the hurdle rate. And so those things can go together to make a lot of different unique setups, depending upon the needs of the investor. Now, I really like the alignment of incentives when you pair a 0% management fee with a hurdle rate and a performance fee. I think that's a strong alignment between the investor and the manager because the manager doesn't get paid for AUM growth. AUM is assets under management. They're not getting paid directly for having more assets. They only get paid for the performance that beats a certain hurdle rate. That hurdle rate protects the investor and that hurdle rate sets the expectation for the manager to know what they need to be targeting in their performance in order to get paid. However, there's also some concerns with this setup. Because you can't charge performance fees to non-accredited investors, if a manager insists on only using a performance fee arrangement, then they can't serve non-accredited investors. And so, I personally like the idea of serving non-accredited investors when I um, manage money externally. So I'd like the ability to be able to manage money for people who aren't earning two hundred, three hundred thousand dollars a year, or who don't already have a million dollars. I like the idea that one of the values that I, the valuable services I can provide to the marketplace is I can help manage money for people who haven't made it to such a high level yet where they can already claim that they're rich and that I'm just helping the wealthy get wealthier. I'd like the idea of someone that's maybe a little more middle class that might have the potential for future high income in the future or have the potential to be millionaire or multimillionaire or decamillionaire in the future, but they're not there yet. They can still join on and invest with me early. Well, if I wanted to do that, if I want to serve non-accredited investors, then I would have to be willing to charge a management fee, at least for them. I could still structure it where maybe accredited investors use a performance fee model, but non-accredited investors pay a management fee model. And so this brings me to answering the question that we started with. Is it better to pay management fees or performance fees? What is the right answer? Well, for non-accredited investors, it's very simple you can only be charged management fees. As far as I'm aware, the legal requirement is, is that you can't be charged performance fees um, based upon the, the guidelines that we have to follow. Now, there might be some small exceptions, but broadly speaking, if you want to have an investment manager manage your money for you, um, they can only charge you management fees. So, you obviously want a manager willing to charge them or you don't get that manager at all. So like if you have a manager you'd like to manage your money, then if you're not accredited, 
you better hope that they are willing to charge management fees. Because if they're not willing to charge management fees, at least for you, then you don't get to work with that manager. And so this is actually common. I mean, there are managers who refuse to charge management fees. There are managers who refuse to work with non-accredited investors because of the limitations placed on them by the regulations. And so it is something you have to think about. Myself, I'm willing to charge management fees, um, but it's not my ideal setup. But as long as I'm working, would work with non-accredited investors, then that does limit what you're allowed to do, at least for those investors. So let's talk accredited investors. Um, accredited investors, I think performance fees should be your instinctual first option. I think they tend to align your interest with managements more than than management fees alone would. However, there are also downsides. You have to think about some of the downsides too. Performance fees, especially when used with a hurdle rate, which I do think they should be used with a hurdle rate most of the time because it just makes for a better arrangement, can encourage managers to take more risk. So if you don't tune those numbers right, if you don't have a good alignment between what um, that fee structure should look like, then unless they beat that hurdle rate, they don't earn anything. So they're never going to be 100% aligned with you. A manager is always going to have the interest of taking on more assets. And the more assets they take on, the it reduces their ability to outperform. It's always going to be easier to outperform if you're managing a million dollars than $10 million. If you're managing $10 million, then $100 million. If you're managing $100 million, it's going to be easier to outperform than managing a billion or $10 billion or $100 billion. Just look at Buffett. It's harder and harder for Buffett to make the investments he'd like to make as he takes on more and more assets. So you're never going to have 100% alignment. However, there's also the concern that without a management fee, you're limiting yourself to investment managers who are already financially independent and can afford to have years without income. Because that's what it means. I mean, remember the example I gave for accredited invest or for performance fees. In that example, despite having, you know, 10% returns after two years, the manager had zero income from that management structure because the management fees and the hurdle rates only kicked in above a certain amount. And so for two straight years, there were zero fees earned by that manager. And it could go on longer than that. Now, you certainly wouldn't want to. You want to be earning high returns, but sometimes long-term high returns, long-term outperformance involves periods of short-term underperformance. And that short-term performance could be years where even if you're earning a return, you might not be beating the hurdle rate or something along those lines. And so the manager would have to be financially independent enough to not need any management fee income in order to pay their bills and you know pay their expensive and what have you. So what that does is it limits your investing universe. If you found an investor that you, you would like to manage your money, I encourage you to be open-minded about what the fee structure is because that can self-select for certain managers that may not have, you know, already be $100 million assets or what have you. So I think that provides the framework for those two different types of investment, non-accredited and credit. I do prefer performance fees. I think they're a better structure overall, especially when you include hurdle rates and high watermarks, and they give you a lot of flexibility to align the incentives between the different parties. 
However, I personally would be willing to both pay and charge both sets of fees. I think my ideal setup is something like the Buffett arrangement, a 0625. Those numbers have a lot of history around them, the 0% management fee. It's important that 6% hurdle rate is a really good number because it is both above inflation and not too high, such that it doesn't force the manager to take too much risk. And so both the investor and the manager have some skin in the game with that setup. But again, this isn't ideal for all investors. I can see an arrangement benefits of something like a 01050. I can see the benefit of something like a 0210 or even like a 1210 or a 105, you know, something where you can arrange these things depending upon the needs of the investor, different arrangements can make sense. So I can also see the benefit of only charging management fees, especially for like a retired investor, someone that's seeking wealth preservation and not growth. Only charging management fees could be very strong alignment there because you're saying, okay, well, I'm not planning to grow these assets besides, you know, the returns I get here. I'm not constantly putting in new amounts. So what it means is that management fee kind of sets that arrangement where like, hey, your goal is not necessarily to go seek 20% returns a year. Your goal is to preserve my wealth, provide enough income to, to meet my needs and manage it. But also you're not there to out taking different pounds of risk. So as always, the answer is it depends. But my goal with this podcast was to give you the information you need to understand how it applies for you. Because the answer might be different for you, but I've touched on, I think, the key concepts that allow you to choose between do I want management fees, performance fees, or both, depending upon your personal situation. If this hasn't been a good int- episode that was interesting to you, then I encourage you to like this um podcast episode, hit that subscribe button and follow me further. One thing I want to highlight, if you're interested in money management services and an external management service, and you think that I might be someone that would be a good fit for that, please contact me directly at my email address, trey at diyinvesting.org. And you can let me know if that is something that you're interested in and we can have a further conversation. Again, I can't talk about any of those details publicly. That is all something that has to be through private conversations. But my goal here is just to give you ideas for something that whether it's done with me, someone else, or just in the future information to understand how the fee structure incentives align between both investors and investment managers. Thank you for listening to this episode. And I hope you'll tune in next time. Presented for general informational and entertainment purposes only. I have not considered your specific situation or risk profile, and I have not provided investment advice. The information presented on the DIY Investing Podcast should not be construed as investment advice. The views and opinions expressed on the DIY Investing Podcast are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect those of the show's host or sponsors. DIY Investing, its producers, sponsors, and host, Trey Henniger, shall not be liable for losses resulting from investment decisions based upon information or viewpoints presented on the DIY Investing Podcast. Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around. A watch she can wear every day for movement. Whether mom's into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, Movement has something she'll love. And right now you can save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with up to 50% off site-wide during Movement's Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com.